0: Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills Weekly Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nate Cashdan. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Um, hey, good morning. Glad to see everybody here today. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you. Um, Hey, turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. So cool. Pastor Glenn has no idea what I'm preaching about. Already alludes to it in doing the communion that, you know, the story in John 13 of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I love that. So it's just the uh, the orchestrating of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray, and then we'll uh, get into this uh, lovely, pun intended, message today. Lord, I thank you for... Uh, I thank you for another day, God. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning so that the joy of the Lord can be our strength. God, I thank you that the, for the courage that it takes that you give us Lord, the courage that it takes to overcome even just to get here on Sundays some days. There's, there's battles, and because there is a real spiritual war that we are really a part of, and there are really enemies that are trying to kill us, and trying to destroy us, and trying to steal from us. But we overcome by your blood, Jesus, and the word of our testimony. And Lord, because of that, we're here this morning. Because of that, we're able to step into fellowship, and we thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. We thank you for every single person that calls River and the Hills Church their home, I thank you, Lord. I speak blessing over each one in this room this morning, over each one listening online. And, Father, I thank you, God, for the heritage that's here, for the inheritance that's here, and, God, for your power that comes through your Holy Spirit. And I ask you right now, Lord, would you open our ears, God, and would you, just, would you even deafen our ears to voices that aren't yours? Amen. Father, we don't want to hear the noise. Father, keep those ears deaf as we walk out, God. Would you make the hearing ears deaf that are listening to the junk, Lord, and help us to hear your voice clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Oftentimes in our lives, in our culture, um, I've seen this very, probably you've seen this too, but I've seen it a lot, is where we have trouble seeing or, or loving people that are just right in front of us, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, uh, I, I've seen... I've seen people that are really ambitious in evangelism. They say, man, I really want to share the gospel with people. Like, I want the Lord to send me people. I'm like, sweet, where do you live? They're like, I live in an apartment complex. I'm like, well, how many of your neighbors have you shared the gospel with? Well, no, no I just need the Lord to send me some people. Like, he did. Yeah. You live next to all of them. you right, he planted you next to, like, your harvest field, you know. Or people say, like, well, I, I just really want to really reach my neighbors. Go reach them. You know what I mean? But they're like, yeah, yeah, that, but I mean like my whole neighborhood. I'm like, well, start with the person that lives next door to you, right? Or they say like, I really want to get better at just loving people. I'm like, well, you're kind of a jerk to your wife, so maybe you should start there. Like, well, I, or, or I talk, you know, that moms that are like, I just want to disciple some young women. I'm like, your kids are terrorists. Start with, start with the kids that are in your house, right? Like, like I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, like, in our culture, we're always like, yeah, but what's, what's over there? What's next? What's better than what we have in front of us? And the Lord's like, simplify. Slow down. I've already given you. Like, Jesus had 12, and he was God. He had 12. So you're like, man, I just need, I need more people. And Jesus is like, well, I, I did 12. And then... Uh, you want more than twelve. So why don't you just work on one? You know, and, and so it's this this culture of always of always not really being content with what's in front of us, of, of always wanting kind of the the interaction that brings a little bit more glory, that's a little bit more fun, that's a little bit more out there, right? Like for moms, yeah, you don't you probably don't get a lot of uh, a lot of praise, recognition or your name in the weekly newsletter for all the discipleship you do with your kids every week, right? Yeah. But guess what? You're you're not. Whew, that's just power. You're not raising kids. You're raising men and women. Right? I was a kid one time. I know it's hard to believe. I always wanted to be older than I was. But (laughs) some of you are like, that explains Zeb so much better now. But I'm saying we, sometimes we just got to slow down and realize that, you know, hey, moms, you, you, discipleship of your children is probably the most important job that you have right now after being a daughter and a wife to your husband. Those, and if, and if, you're not, if you're not winning there, don't try to win somewhere else. Just fix that situation. All right. Dads, same thing. Dads, if you're, I mean, your job is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And if you're like, man, I just really want to serve people, and you're like real quick, to, real quick to go help out your neighbor and real quick to go help them move and real quick to take the extra hours at work and the extra shift and real quick to go do this and real quick to do that and real slow to love your wife, that's not good. All right. Well, that's it. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> the altar's open. <laughs> the altar's open. <laughs> No. All right. John chapter thirteen, my favorite passage in scripture. Many of you know this. Uh, I'm going to teach out of it a little bit differently today. Not that we're going to change what it says. We're just going to hit a different principle, different idea. Talking about loving one another. You know, our vision is River in the Hills Church, which is to move God's heart and change the world. Move God's heart speaks a lot of this vertical connection, right? Of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It's a lot of of you know up and down, but then. Then what's the next verse? And love your neighbor as yourself, right? Well, that's changed the world. That's this way. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, okay? I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I'm going to walk through the entire chapter. Um, Jesus is, uh, and his disciples are, you know, they refer to this, these next few chapters as the upper room discourse, So, right, It's the last time that he sits down with his friends uh, before he, uh, but right after this, he goes out and gets arrested, okay, and then starts... Um, sort of the next couple of days of uh, leading up to his crucifixion. So um, they're they're going to this room, and it's sort of a secret, right? It's, um, and so there's a practical issue. The practical issue is because they've been able to acquire this room, uh, there's no one there hosting to wash their feet. There's no servants, um, okay? They wore sandals and... There weren't as many asphalt streets back then, and uh, so their feet were nasty, right? And they sat around a table on the ground with their feet next to other people, so it's gross, right? Like, when you guys are eating dinner and your kid puts their feet on the table, you're like, gross, what are you doing? We've been discipling you all week to not do this, what are you, right? Anyways, so they needed their feet washed. So that's the practical situation that we find ourselves in, okay? So... Chapter 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew, this is powerful, he knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, now meaning the disciples, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father, this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Jesus, hmm, wow, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Stop right there just for a second so you can fully appreciate the power of those two verses. It means that up until that point, he hadn't fully realized Remember, because Jesus learned. Do you remember that? That that he 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 was born. He was a boy. He grew up. He learned. People were like, Jesus never had a messy diaper. Sure, he did. Yeah. Uh, Jesus never Jesus never cried as a baby. Yeah, he did. He <laughs> he was fully man and fully God, setting aside access to his deity to set an example of living in perfect connection with the Father as a man, full filled with the Holy Spirit as an example to what can be done. If he doesn't do it like that, he can't look at you and me and say, do the same works as me. He can't look at you and me and give us this charge if he's doing everything that he did as God. Why? You're not God. He can't, he's not going to call you into something that he hasn't equipped you for. So up until this moment, he, he's been, there, there's certain things that he knows and certain things that have been kept from him. Voluntarily, Philippians says, that he humbled himself and became obedient, that he chose to come to the earth, he, cho- he knew what he was saying aside, and he knew it, he knew. everything that he was doing. He did that. And so up until this point, he hadn't had the full realization. But the Bible says right here, he got up from the meal. I'm sorry, the, uh, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, meaning he knew that it was, it was coming. It's going to happen. So he got up from the meal. This is what he did. Having fully realized who he was, I am the Messiah, I am God in the flesh. That's what he realized in that, fully, fully realized in that moment. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He just came to the fullest realization of his entire life, that he was God, and in that vein, served. He took the lowest position possible in that room of a servant. Wow. So, you know the story, right? If you've read this before, Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. like, Because he, he knows, because Peter understands who he is, at least a little bit. Peter goes, what are you doing? You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And he's like, then get the bath bomb. <laughs> We're jumping in. He goes, I, wash my head. Wash the, I, I want everything clean. Jesus says I, in uh, verse 7, he says, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Um, he goes on to explain, you know, to Peter and obviously to everyone that's around the table you know, If you're clean, you only need your feet washed, meaning that, he had, that they, were, they knew who he was, that they were washed, and they just needed their feet clean so they could practically eat. Um, when he had finished washing uh, their feet, verse 12, he said, do you understand what I had done for you? And then he, he just continues on and doesn't let him answer. Do you know why he doesn't let him answer? Because I bet the look on their face was, no, I don't. <laughs> or like... I'm not even going to, I'm sure I'm wrong. My answer that I'm going to give, I'm sure, is wrong. So everybody's looking at Peter. They're like, you always put your foot in your mouth. Why don't you go? And Peter didn't have anything to say. So, but he continues on in verse 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I love that. Yeah. And then Peter, or I'm going to skip a few verses. Jesus goes on and he basically is like, not all of you are clean because the heaviness hits him that Judas is sitting around the table and he knows that Judas is going to betray him. And, uh, and it's not good. Um, Jesus says uh, in verse 21, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me, and they're kind of like, what is he talking about? The disciples don't know, and uh, verse 25, uh, Peter leans against him and says, "Uh, who is it, Lord? Who's going to betray you? In verse 26, he says, it's the one whom I'll give this piece of bread when I've dipped it into the dish, and he dips it, and he hands it to Judas Iscariot, and he says, uh, in verse uh, 27, he says, what you're about to do, do it quickly, and the, the disciples are still like, is he gonna go buy more bread? Like he, they just, they just didn't quite get it, not yet, and uh, and that's that's okay. They get it very soon. Um, and so Judas leaves. We know where he went. He goes and uh, and grabs the guards that are gonna come, and, and he, he betrays Jesus. Verse thirty one. When he was gone, Jesus said, uh, "Now the Son of Man, or I'm sorry, now the Son of Man glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him." If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. And he promises in the next verses; he's he's trying to prepare them for what's going to happen. Like, don't worry, I'll still be with you. Okay, we know from chapters 14, 15, and 16, he tells them, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and that's how I'm going to remain in you. All right, and they're like, no, you're not going to die, we'll die for you. They're like, you will die for me, just not yet. Hold on to that. They were so zealous, they just... He was trying over, he repeats himself a lot in the coming chapters because he's he's basically like, this is the last time I'm going to exhort you before I'm crucified. Now, he comes back right after he's raised from the dead and he hangs out for another month and a half. He exhorts them again. But this is the last time before the new covenant is poured out in his blood. He has important things to say. So, verse 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The disciples were not all the same. Some of them were educated, highly. Some of them were completely uneducated by the world standards at the time, okay? Some of them were more blue collar, some of them were more white collar, Some of them were a little bit older. Some of them were pretty young. Some of them uh, were very outspoken, and some of them were probably a little bit more shy. So when Jesus looked at them all and basically was like, I've been with you all for three years, and he says, I want you to love each other, I guarantee you that they had situations in their mind over the last three years where they had not been loving to each other. We know of situations where they were unloving to people that Jesus was trying to minister to, where they try to shoo the kids away, they try to shut people up, they try to take unclean people, what are you, what are you doing, stay away, stop interrupting the teacher, right? And they, did, they were learning, they were learning. Jesus rebukes them very gently and lovingly and teaches them in those moments. But what the point is, when we can't read a verse like this and be like, they're the disciples, of course they loved each other, no okay? Love, just like it's an action and a choice for you, and it's not always hard to love somebody. Sometimes you're like, I prefer to love them from from my house, and they're in their house, and I, and I love them. But um, and we, we say that, but but really, they didn't, really didn't have a choice. They lived, they laid their <laughs> cots next to each other. They pulled up their rock pillows next to each other for three years, and you're going to tell me that they didn't rub elbows a little bit and kind of no they they had their stuff i guarantee you we know that there is that there's tension uh, in the in the early church between leaders we know it's there but jesus said by your choosing to love each other as i have chosen to love you you will demonstrate to the world that you are my disciples that is how they'll know not because you walk around with a sign that says jesus favorite disciple not because you refer to yourself as the disciple whom jesus loved in your writing which he did. John, that wasn't how the world knew. The world knew because of his love for his brothers. That's what Jesus says right here. So when you, look at sort of, when you look at these charges, because if it's a charge to the disciples, it's a charge to the church. Do you know that? Why? You're a disciple. That's why. Because the disciples were to Matthew 28, 19. They were supposed to what? Go into all the world, right? right go and make disciples of every nation baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and what teaching them to observe all that i've commanded you so they were supposed to go teach the next generation of disciples everything that jesus taught them which would include what teaching the next generation everything that they taught them so the the cycle continues until jesus returns and you are part of that cycle you are taught or are being taught by someone and then you are to take that and pass it on to someone's, right? Okay. So anytime you see Jesus tell anything to the disciples, you can just say, "I'm a disciple." All right. But he says, "Love as I've loved you." And so when we see something like that, we actually have to look and see how Jesus loved them. And so I've got three characteristics of the way that he loved. This is not exhaustive by any way, by any means, but three characteristics of the way that Jesus loved his disciples that we can actually take, learn from, and love each other. Now, I believe, this is important, listen up. I believe that on the Lord's heart, specifically for this word today, is that we would narrow narrow the scope of this call to love one another to our families and church family here, River in the Hills Church. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying it's limited to that, I'm saying I believe that on the Lord's heart is a special exhortation in that vein, okay? And so it's a, because, I'll tell you what, you cannot love people well if you cannot love your family well. Because you can only give away something that you possess. You cannot give something away you don't have. It will eventually break down, okay? You see it happen in ministry more than, I would like to, more than we would like to happen, okay. But what, these things that I'm gonna talk to, I want you to think about them specifically in the context of loving your family, meaning I'm talking about, I'm not talking about your relatives. I'm talking about your husband, your wife, your children, right? Or if you're a young person in the room, your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad. That's who I'm talking about. And then loving each other, as members of the body of Christ called River in the Hills Church, okay? Because you are we are part of the body of Christ, but this is a local body of Christ. And I know there's and I'm not blaming, we're we're, there, we're growing, there's a lot of people and I get that. There's a lot of people in this room that don't know each other. There's a lot of people in this room that have no clue who you are and you, you might smile and see each other and 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 that's that's not sin. But we're family. Let's get to know each other. Let's love each other. All right, so I want you to think about it in that context. Number one, how did Jesus love his disciples? He loved them unconditionally, without conditions. You think that the disciples ever did anything to warrant Jesus being a little upset at them? We know that they did, okay? Even, uh, even in this, these next chapters here in the book of John, over and over, Jesus is like, you just, you just kind of hear the tone in his voice. I think it's Philip that speaks up, and when Jesus is talking about how he's going to go to the Father, Jesus says, Philip, if you've seen me, or, or Philip says, why don't you just show us the Father? Then we'll understand what you're talking about. And he goes, man, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, you just see him like, but we've talked about this. You know, like, it's just, it's sort of exhausting, but he continues on because he loves them. Do you think that Jesus was ever tempted to be frustrated or disappointed. Now, he was, was, did he ever give in to it? No, but was he tempted? I bet you it was every day. Yes. I bet you it was every day. Yes. But he never did it. The point of this is this. We can't just say, well, Jesus loved him. Of course he did. It's just Jesus. No, Jesus was setting an example for us about how to love as he loved them. It would be so pathetic if Jesus was never tempted to lash out in anger or frustration or, just to, or to get offended or to be bitter towards Peter because Peter won't shut up. Like, Peter, stop talking. Just stop talking. Every time you open your mouth, it's wrong. You're not getting it, right? And he, and he go, but he doesn't. He brings him along, and he, keeps, and he keeps speaking life into him. Even when Peter denies him, Jesus reinstates him. Peter, do you love me? Well, of course I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Why are you asking me again? Of course I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Okay, I'm getting offended now. Why? Why was it three times? Because he denied him three times. So he reinstated him three times. Then what did Peter do? Well, he turned around got filled with the Holy Spirit, and 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people come to Jesus. What happens if Jesus gets offended and stops loving, or Jesus Jesus lets his love become conditional towards Peter and said, Peter, you're not getting it, so you're out of the 12. You're out of the club. Well, the early church does not get started. Wow. His unconditional love is in every single thing that he said and did. So People are always going to give you a reason not to love them. I've probably given you a reason not to love me. I'm sorry about that. It wasn't my intention. <laughs> but I probably have. I've probably said something that's offended you. It wasn't my intention, and I'm sorry. But I hope that you will still love me. Amen. Because... Some of you have done things that have offended me and said things that... And, and I forgive you, Micah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what? But but I'm called to love you unconditionally just as you're called to love me unconditionally. So there's not... I try to... And we're, we're faced with temptations daily to put conditions on our love for other people. And I'll tell you what, if you are... If you are loving someone in word and not in deed, you have put a condition on your love for that person. And the condition is that you don't have to interact with that person. I'll love them as long as I don't have to see them, talk to them, hear from them, read any of their posts online. Then I'll love them. That's, that's a condition. You just made your love conditional. And Jesus doesn't do that, and he calls us to not do that. I suppose I should look at my notes. Uh, yeah, here we are somewhere. All right, number 2. He loves us unapologetically. There's your big word for the day. Unapologetically, meaning that there it is not a fear of man type love. And I'll explain what I mean about this. It's exhibited most clearly in Jesus's life by the way that he loves the unlovely. Okay? You Read the Gospels. Jesus would touch lepers. Yeah. Jesus would hug people with COVID-19 with no mask. Why? Well, because in the old covenant, because remember, he came to instill a new covenant. And in the old covenant, when you touch something that's unclean, it makes you unclean. But in the new covenant, you can actually touch something that's unclean and make it clean. And that's what he was doing. And dim- but he wasn't just teaching it; he was demonstrating it. Yeah. Why did he let Mary of Bethany weep at his feet and anoint him with oil? This woman who really had a really really nasty history and a nasty reputation. Well, because he loved unapologetically. He didn't have to. He didn't feel like he needed to make excuses for the way that he loved people. Why did he? Why did he? Uh, why did he walk towards the demon-possessed rather than run away like everyone else was? Well, because he was bringing light to shine into the darkness. The guy that was naked and sleeping in the tombs that everybody was afraid of, wouldn't. Go, he, Jesus walked right to him. And they were more afraid of him after he cast the demons out. Right. <laughs> why, I mean, he, he, he would go... Why did the woman with the issue of blood that grabbed onto his cloak... She wasn't supposed to be there. Do you know why? She was bleeding. She was unclean. She was supposed to be outside the city, away from people. But she'd had an issue. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. Do you know how isolated and alone she felt? I'm, I'm speculating. <laughs> and Jesus stopped and turned around. After being touched by at least dozens, if not hundreds, of people, he said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, everyone And he goes, No, I felt power leave me. That's faith. If you can get Jesus' attention because he realized that power left him, you came with faith. But she was unclean and she shouldn't have been there. But that's faith will drive you to do cool things. But he got a lot of flack for the way that he loved, especially from the religious people. He got a lot of flack for the way that he treated Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus was a thief, and a, a re, he had a reputation of being crooked. And he called him out, and he's like, let's have lunch at your place. And they're like, whoa, Lord, <laughs> we know you're new here, but uh, that's, no, I mean, like, I know he's short, and, like, we, you know, we feel bad for him, but, like, maybe we could we'll just get him in a chair, and we're going to pray that his legs grow out. <laughs> you know, but... No, they didn't speak in tongue yet. That's right. Sorry, I don't, that's, you keep it theologically sound. <laughs> Tongues came later. But, um, but they said, he's like, no, that's where I want to go. I'm going to go to Zacchaeus' house. And one meal with Zacchaeus, and that's, Zacchaeus opens the safe, and he's giving money back like crazy. He's paying people back more than what he stole from them. One meal. But he got a lot of flack for who he hung out with. But he loved unapologetically, and that's how we are to love. We are to love the unlovely regardless of how that makes us look or how other people might view, like, man, do they know that person's sin? And do they know? They know where that person's been? How do they invite them into their house? How do they believe their story? How do they even lay hands on them? Oh my gosh, that person's sick. What are you doing hugging him? Unapologetically. He made no apology for loving made no apology for loving those that he was legally not even allowed to really talk to Gentiles, single women, single Gentile women. He had no, he didn't make apology for it. In our culture, it's really easy to worry about what people think. Um, And sometimes that makes its way into our lives in areas that we don't even really know, but it can actually make its way into our life in the area of how we love people, actually worrying not only about what people will think about us if we're loving, but we're actually going, well, I wonder what, they could, what I could get in return for loving them. I wonder what I'm gonna get out of it, man. Number three, he loved intensely. We know that Jesus' ultimate and most intense example of love was on the cross, right? If that's not intense love, That, as Pastor Glenn said earlier, that the joy set before him, each of you that would say yes to Jesus, the joy set before him, he set and he endured not just the cross, but the beating and humiliation of a lifetime that led up to being crucified on the cross. And you guys know that he wasn't crucified even normally. It wasn't a normal crucifixion. They did things to him that were... Cruel and unusual, even in the realm of crucifixion. So don't, he was set apart in every way, even in the way that he was crucified. He was not crucified the way that the one on his right and the one on his left were crucified. They didn't endure the same things as Jesus. They also didn't have the Father turn his face away as he took on the sin of the world. That was the ultimate example of his intense love for you. But you can't take on the sin of the world. So he set other examples for us in the way that he loved intensely. I mean, we know, you know, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's intense. But even in, in, uh, in John 13, his love was so intense for his disciples That like I just said when we started, that having fully realized who he was, that he was God in flesh, that he came from God and was returning to God, in that vein, he took a towel and washed their feet. It's disgusting and beautiful. That is intense. Why did he do it? Because true love is humble. And true love goes low and stays low. And true love follows the example of Christ always. And Christ's example, as he said, I am setting an example so that you can do the same, was to go low. One of the ways that we can love intensely is by loving in humility. Considering others before ourselves. There has to be a determined purpose in our love. Like a laser focus in the way that we're loving people. Worship team, go ahead and come back up. Stay engaged, everybody else in the room, just a couple more minutes. See, love, listen, love costs time and money. All the husbands are like, amen. (laughs) I'm just kidding, sort of. Listen to me. If you're a parent, you know that love costs time and money. If you're married, you know love costs time and money. But even if you're not, you've probably experienced, if you're a friend, love costs time and money. It costs, there is a cost to love. Love is not a feeling, although there are feelings associated with it. They can be really nice feelings and really bad feelings. Okay. So when, when young people are dating, and they're like, they're like, man, I just love him so much. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, they're like, oh, I just don't feel the same amount of love for him anymore. I'm like, well, this will be the test to see if you actually love him or not when the feeling goes away, you know, and, and it hardly ever sticks. When they're that young. But those, when the feelings leave or when somebody's treating you in a way that's offending you or belittling you or making you hurt or when you're going through a real trial, that's when you figure out where, you know, am I loving or am I not loving? Now, in the comp, remember I told you that I want, I believe that on the Lord's heart is for us to specifically keep the context of this word within our, I mean, for today, to keep. context of this word within our families and our church family so i have some practical things here that i just wrote they're just ideas they're not verses right they're just practical things that we can do as brothers and sisters in river in the hills church to love each other better and to in the in the in following the lord's example to love like he has loved us now what's really cool is that the end result when we're doing this right is that the world will know that we're disciples of Jesus. Right, the, the, the world, Jesus goes on to talk about how he, he, when he prays for us, he prays that we would be one, meaning unified, or one, as he and the Father are one. And he said, this way the world will know that I came from the Father, right? Well, in the same way, when we're loving each other with the love that Christ has loved us with, people will know that we are disciples of Jesus. You say like, I just wanna be a good witness. I just want to be a good witness at work. I just want people to know that I love Jesus. Sweet. Go give that dude a thousand bucks. Well, that's radical. No, that's intense. Give him a thousand bucks and tell him, it's just because I love you. Because your words are cheap until they're backed up with meat. Words are cheap. Actions speak. Okay? Okay? That wasn't a word, just give somebody a thousand bucks, but I mean, that's an example. You can give somebody a thousand bucks, they're gonna be like, they're either crazy or they really do love me. Love is an investment. It's an investment in the kingdom because people will know that that we're disciples. It's an investment in the person that you're loving, right? We all have a desire to be loved. It's an investment in yourself because you're becoming more like Jesus when you love like he loved Here's a few practical ideas. If you want to jot them down, you can. They'll be up on the screen, I think, maybe, I don't know. Um, it, but uh, you can jot them down. Meet people you don't already know. It's really hard to love people you don't know. I mean, you can, you can have an affection for them, you can have a, um, a respect for them, you can honor them, you can do those types of things, but you can't really love them the way, you know, unconditionally, unapologetically and intensely, if you don't know them. Meet people you don't, and don't wait for people to introduce themselves to you. I mean, it's just, just be the person, you know, that goes up and says, hey, what's up, my name's Nate. You know, but use your name, right? (laughs) You, You know that, you know how to do it. Unless your name's Nate. Invite people into your home for a meal, for coffee, for a trampoline, for for anything. (laughs) Just invite people into your home. Hospitality speaks volumes of love, not just for the people being hosted, but also for the one who's hosting. Give and serve where there are needs. Love gives and love serves, but you can't give and serve a need until you know what the need is. And you don't find out what needs are until you know people. You got to see how these are related and connected. Introduce people to each other. Have you met Kyle? Right? Be somebody's wingman. Introduce people to each other. Here's the big ones. Pray for your church family by name. Are you going to have time every day to make mention of everyone's name? Maybe not. And pro- I don't. If you do, do it. If you don't, that's okay. But pick a couple. And the couple that you just met on Sunday, pray for them. Then meet somebody new the next Sunday and pray for them. Meet somebody new and then pray for them. But make mention, pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. We need your prayers. We need your covering. The battle is real. The spiritual battle is real. The Lord doesn't like it when Pastor Glenn or myself, Pastor Kyle, we stand up here and say things that are true and especially countercultural things. The devil doesn't like that and he tries to mess with our families and he tries to mess with, with us personally and he messes with our dreams. So we need prayer and intercession. Please pray for us. Pray for each other. And the last one, practical way to work on loving one another is to humble yourself Get low and stay low. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Would you stand with me? Prayer teams, if you could come forward, please. A great way to love each other is to bear one another's burdens. A great way to love each other is to, is to hurt with each other, and celebrate with each other, and walk through hard things with each other, and pray with each other. It's a great way to love each other. So we have an opportunity now, as we're going to officially close, you have an j- opportunity to come and let one of these wonderful people pray with you, agree with you, fight with you, give you advice those types of things, if you need prayer for anything, especially, especially right now, if you've never come to the altar and gotten prayer before, especially if you've been carrying around things that you're like, no, I got this, I got this, I got this. I just want to give you one little reality check right now. You think back to how long you've been telling yourself that you got it, and just ask yourself this question. How's that been working out for me? I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm just saying like, Jesus is like, man, come to me. I so want to take, I so want to give you an answer to that question. I so want to give you deliverance from that demonic oppression. I so want to give you healing for that ailment, for that sickness, for that disease. Come to the Lord. Let's pray this morning. As we do, I just want you to I want you to, in, even in these last things that we talked about, these last five or six practical things, I want you to say even to yourselves, Holy Spirit, show me how I can put into practice one of those things now, right now, and then do it before you leave. It'll be a one really cool step in following the command of Jesus to love others like he has loved us. His love for you is unconditional. His love for you is unapologetic and it is more intense than you will ever realize this side of glory. But we can do our best to follow the example that he set. So Holy Spirit, we invite you even now into this moment. Lord, would you give us courage to love each other the way that you have loved us. Father, would you forgive me? Forgive me for not loving well or for, or for convincing myself that I'm loving by not hating. Lord, not hating is not loving. Father, I just pray, Lord, you would move us from the realm of being self-focused, self-centered, to being so Jesus-focused that we can see the others who you've put in front of us and that we're not trying to look past right where you've planted us in River in the Hills Church. We're not trying to look past that to see where the next people are that we can love or minister to or whatever, God, that we would take advantage of what you've put right in front of us, what you've given us today. Our families, Lord, our church family here. Father, I'm so thankful for everyone in this building. I'm so thankful for everyone that calls River in the Hills Church their home because they're part of my family. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to know each other more, to love each other more. Because God, when we're loving each other more, you said it, the world will know that we are your disciples, that we are followers of Jesus. And that's what we want, the world to know that we follow Jesus and we want them to follow Jesus and to be brought into the family of God as well. So Holy Spirit, come and do your your work, have your way in and through us this morning. Amen. The worship team's gonna lead us. You guys come forward for prayer, come forward for uh, for agreement and encouragement, whatever you need. If you have to go, you're totally dismissed and free to go. Uh, God bless you, but uh, even on your way out, meet somebody you don't know. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.